When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country, and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders, past, present, and emerging. This episode, we speak with Miffy Rigby, editor of The Good Food Guide, about COVID's impact on the guide and the changes that have been made this year. Simon does have a signature dish. Simon's signature dish is barramundi. He does like, it at every catering gig. But I, I, saw you, I, saw, oh, I think I, saw, I, I did um, Murray Code yesterday. <laughs> Maybe for that reason. Murray Code. Changed it right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's on, it's on Vogue now as well. Um, yeah, signature dishes. It's just a dish that comes back. It's just delicious. That's all it is. It is. Mm. It's a good dish. But yeah. But no, yeah it's, it's like a chefy thing. I'm just hating that question. Is a signature dish uh, a lazy chef move or an important chef move? That is an interesting question. Um, I think it can be both. If it's let's just start. By the way, we'll just make this the start. Keep going. <laughs> if it's a very if it's a, if it's a good chef and it's a dish that is maybe like perfected or it's like this is maybe one of the best dishes I've done, then signature dish. If it's someone who's like slapping on an old timed out classic and trying to make that signature, that's lazy. Like if you come up with something that's original, like that's that might happen like a couple of times in your life. So therefore you can be proud of that. If you're just redoing like the same old thing, then it's lazy. Which chefs May- do we do we what chefs do we have that have like a synonymous with their signature dish? Is there some? Like Peter Gilmore would yeah. be synonymous with I I guess the snow egg, which he retired a few yeah. years yeah, ago. Yeah, so that's gone now. So that's that, gone. It Tetsuya. Yeah, that's oh, like yeah, the like, ocean like, trout. Yeah, the Petuna ocean trout one. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't check. Like I think a lot of time it's like if if you Guillaume's see, mashed potato, <laughs> which well, which but is, I don't know. Like do these things not, contribute not to his. a chef's profile having well, these. It's not his. That's the, yeah. like, yeah, that's the ro- world. Ro- 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That's Robichons. Yeah. Does this does it bring anything to a chef to have a signature dish? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. You reckon people go people go there to taste it for that? But is that the chef or is it the restaurant? I mean, like Gordon Ramsay's still got the same lobster ravioli on. It's and now it's Matt Abay who does it, and before it was Claire Smith who did it, and before that it was whoever the head chef was before that did it. And it's always the same, just with like a little different garnish. <laughs> Is know. that good though? Do you like? I don't know. Sometimes I suppose I think you get quite excited about a signature dish. Mm. You get quite excited about visiting that restaurant to try that thing. Mm. But it must be horrible as a chef. 
I, mm. I think this is the same split as we've had this conversation before, where if being in that bubble, you might go to a, a great restaurant like a couple of times, and therefore you're like, I want something different. But if you have saved up for most a year because you've seen this chef on Master Chef, and you're like, I really want to have that dish. I want to have, it. and you went there and the dish wasn't on. Mm. You'd be really You'd be upset. Has, has Lennox got his steak on at the moment? The really long, dry aged. Is, is that his? Or is he just doing a tasting menu? Is that his signature dish? Well, it is now after Netflix, surely. Yeah, right. I mean, I was there a few months ago and the steak was still on. It was on. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I didn't realize. It was I didn't the know. Dairy whether, cow. Yeah, yeah. 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 I didn't know whether or not it was like tasting menu only sort of thing now with how crazy busy they must be and I don't know, pain in the ass too. You probably still, if, if you want to spend. 300 bucks on the extra steak they'll probably let you yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to get more aged yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> you're just getting to, to you got to book you got to book two years ahead and we've already mm. started aging your steak for a year so you <laughs> that doesn't like if i saw that like in probably in spain i wouldn't be that surprised if it was like you had to pre-book your meat two years ahead because it's that farm to table <laughs> I would 100% book my meat also, two, yeah, yeah, two years, years ahead. ahead. Like, be amazing. amazing. Are there any restaurants that still have the old, uh, like, bring the meat tray around to the table? Like, Dad oh. always used to mention Vlahos in Melbourne, which was like this oh. old school Eastern so. European guy that would bring a tray of chivapchichi and, and meat around to the table. You got to select your, Someone select your item. Someone be doing that. I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> it's old school. Everything, everything's on a trolley. Okay, look, let's start the podcast. Miffy Rigby, welcome to the food fight. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Uh, I think uh, everyone would have got it through an intro that we will have recorded in the future from now that um, you're our guest this week. And we're really excited to talk to you as well because it's such a timely day. Like Mm. the biggest uh, issue of good food out this morning talking about what's in store. So we'll get to what's in store, but let's start with what happened um, Fuck. Yeah, so like we don't have to go in too into detail. Like, I mean, I think there's other podcasts out there that talk a lot about yeah. COVID. Let me tell you all about the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, we, so we can only say pivot twice. That, that's a limit. I like yeah. to say pirouette. I think nice. it's pirouette. We can get it. We can do two pivot, of that as well. Pirouette, adapt, mm. unprecedented. Yep. Let's get them out of the way now. Yep. Um, but uh, I guess like maybe like some quick questions. Mm. Tell us about the decision to stop scoring restaurants and things like that. Yes. So that that's well, probably the biggest decision we've made in the history of the Good Food Guide. Uh, and the reason for that, as much as we don't want to really talk about COVID so much, is that hospitality was and still is, to my mind, on its knees, re- recovering. And the last thing we want to be doing is is kind of scoring people or taking away half a point or docking people here and there for something that's completely out of their hands. Mm. I mean, on the service front, I think is really important to talk about. It's basically impossible now to get fantastic service. I mean, Simon, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, everyone is struggling. Yeah. I mean, some people will still have great service, but there is just fewer and fewer people to go around still, you know, Austria has a large amount of restaurants. And to create a holistic dining experience and then to report off the back of that rest like like service or what we're calling now hospitality which is more of a friendliness and an ability to feel comfortable in that restaurant um it's so hard to then sort of dock a restaurant for not being able to provide what is out of their hands to provide Mm. so that was a big part of, of of taking away the scoring and another part was below that hat level which we're still we're still maintaining because I think those hats are, are so pivotal to what we do 
and it's those next level restaurants you know that we that we want to be able to highlight below that we want to be able to bring in more diversity we want to be able to to bring in lots and lots of restaurants that that kind of I guess historically have been overlooked by the guide because of this really strict scoring policy we Mm. had I want to be able to open it up to more diverse neighborhoods more diverse cuisines um to be able to kind of speak broadly to our cities and regions I guess Mm. and to provide our readers with just more choices yeah cool all right well that's that's what's happening now but so so was it an easy decision then to stop scoring no no it wasn't I mean Terry stopped scoring during coronavirus uh obviously Mm. yeah and I think one of the things that does for your weekly section is it makes people read the stories rather than look at a 14 out of 20 and go, oh, it's a 14 out of 20, I'll move on. That's not a hat, I won't eat there. And it's like, but actually 14 out of 20 restaurants have a lot of value. Mm. They do great things for your city and they can tell great stories and deliver great food. It's just that they're not a hat. It doesn't, it doesn't make them not good. It just makes them like not quite as good. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, according to the according to a, the hat, according to, to the that hat criteria, system, which mm. not necessarily according to the person eating the food. Yeah, and if you don't have that score there stymieing you, I think it gives that restaurant more of an opportunity to kind of express itself. Mm. So you, so Terry's obviously started scoring again for the paper. Yeah, but then obviously the guy going forward won't have any scores. Yeah. Was there is a thought about that? Is it that you know the, in the paper people still want to see that score? I think that for our readers, people still want to see the score, but for the guide, my feeling is having the hats tells like I think it's a really nice differentiation, and then underneath those hats, you've got restaurants that cover such a broad spectrum. And then, but they're not clattering up against each other with 14s or 14.5s. And so you can just read the reviews and go, oh, that sounds like an absolutely fucking excellent Cambodian restaurant. Mm. I will go out of my way to go there. Mm. Just knowing that the baseline to get in the guide at all is really difficult. Mm. Was, was there thoughts of, of getting rid of hats altogether? Was that, was that a conversation? Or was no. That, that was a no touch? No, that was a no, no t- that was a no-go zone. Hats, mm. hats, hats will always be there. But always three? Was there thought of maybe, you know, Knocking three to four and well, having actually, having we a did, one or we a, did think for a little minute or a there. Gourmand or <laughs> <laughs> we did think for a little minute there about reintroducing something they tried in the Age Good Food Guide, I think in the nineties, which was a five hat scoring system. Right. But it's kind of too confusing, I think, for readers and also restaurants. I yeah. mean, previously holding a one hat, would that mean then you hold three? And is a three hat a five hat? Ugh, yeah, are, are they equivalent just, in their it's just kind of... And there's already a five-hat score that... Who scores <laughs> we five? The, the, other, the other, other good food guide. Oh, I don't are they five? Or they, no, they're four. They're four, hmm. possibly. Hmm. <laughs> they're something different. The other which makes, makes it very what, confusing. Like, let's talk about the importance of having a hat system. Like, I mean, we've touched on it, but like, what do you see as some of the most important things about having these things? These, you know, it's an out of three scoring system it's 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 pretty hectic like the you've got very few at the at the very top and you know fewer like again you know fewer at number two and then a bit more at at just one and uh you know it's the benchmark by which so many people in australia make their dining decisions yeah 
So, like, I just want to explore some of the value and 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 why it's important. Like, I mean, how how important is it to the fact that, like, I mean, you guys need readers. You guys have an audience as well. Like, this is a business mm. as well, and people want to engage with your with with your newspaper or with good food in multiple different ways. And one of those is the guide and the hats and stuff like that. People want to be able to talk about these sorts of things. Like, mm-hmm. the awards is such a big institution and event and um it's such a big part of dining culture so yeah like what are some of the most important things about it for you so that is a that's a a a big intro there was a a lot tiny hat yeah (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot (laughs) look i think um it's it a lot of what you touch on is the, the the very core of why it's important um one thing actually simon you were talking about before if just to even go back to that signature dish mm. when you have somebody saving up for six months to go to a restaurant and a lot of our readers yeah look people are spending money more than ever before probably at the moment at that one percent level and you've got a lot of readers who for instance probably only dine out once or twice a year maybe less now mm. and they are saving and so if you can give them a pretty clear Dif- like definition of what a one, two and three hat restaurant is, what that represents in terms of a night out, I, it, it definitely decodes restaurants for maybe your average reader who doesn't go out three or four times a week. I think for chefs it's an incredibly important benchmarking system across the board for restaurants to be able to say, okay, this is where I sit in the ecosystem of Australian dining. Mm. Um, I think it gives you a really good representation of quality and also price, although probably only between that three and two, like a two and one can very often. I mean, most restaurants, if mm. you were to even at average, are about $260. Mm. Well, you can, pricing-wise, you can you can almost see when a restaurant opens what they're going for Yes, by their pricing and what they're doing. And, mm. it, and it is quite kind of stark in that, which is quite interesting. That's Because, I mean, there's nothing... I mean, traditionally it probably would be very much about price and it would go up X amount with how many hats. Um, But now it's less of the case. But then restaurateurs kind of intrinsically know how much they need to be charging to be in each category. Yeah. Which is um, not a question, just an observation I just thought of. It's Um, true though. It's true though. Like you can look at any menu and get a pretty clear idea. Mm. Yeah. Um, Talk to us a little bit about... Like I, what I want to do is like we'll, we'll talk a bit about the hats themselves and about mm. what the guide does and things and then we'll sort of move on to how things have changed and, and some of the things you've addressed in w- what this new look guide is going to look like and that mm. are in today's paper. Um, how do you like maybe personally even sort of deal with the amount of emotion and passion and you know the the hum, hum, humanity side of issuing such an important um, you know benchmark or recognition to chefs around Australia because like having you know worked in in the food media food industry for like quite a long time I've come across so many people who like they're just killing themselves to get a hat like they just really really want to do it and stuff and it's so important to them and chefs like there's so much importance on that for chefs not not just in you know that sort of self-recognition and being like okay well i've achieved something that i always intended to in my in my career which is such a big part of who you are but also um helps their business all those sorts of things like is that is that hard to manage personally 
Yeah, like I have a chronic anxiety disorder. Yeah, right. <laughs> like actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, partly through doing this job. But yeah, like I've, I mean, I have been doing it for a long time and um, the weight of expectation of, of other people's businesses is just always heavy on your shoulders. Mm. I know one um, reviewer who throws up every time they have to go out to a restaurant knowing whether or not they're going to be taking away or giving a hat. That's mm. the pressure of it. That's the stuff that people don't generally see is how sick it makes you with with nerves and anxiety and depression to make sure you're doing your job right. Mm. So from the outside, I guess it does look a little bit like hilarious, ha, 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 gourmand, um, <laughs> going from restaurant to restaurant, beep, beep, toot, toot. But it's, it's, there's so, there's so much, um, there's so much pressure behind the scenes and then there's also um, an incredible amount of paperwork mm. that goes with it to make sure that every single score is as correct as we can possibly make it because we know what happens when a restaurant loses a hat or gains a hat. Mm. It's about the difference. It's been reported before. I think Dimmy did this this piece years ago that to lose a hat is about equivalent is about a, an equivalent of seven hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Really? Yeah. Mm. It's huge. That's yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's always. It sounds like a lot. Yes. And it's always because it's it's definitely it's this weird battle where chefs, um, chef. I think chefs think it's more important than it is. Mm. Um, critics probably play it down maybe possibly because of the amount of pressure around it, especially with good food when you guys are a lot more visible than a lot of other guide reviewers um you, you, know, you are names people do recognize you so that's it's added pressure of of you're not anonymous um like other guides so i think there's always a bit of a disparity between um people giving it maybe too much significance and, and chefs definitely do that especially chefs who are kind of going for their, their first hat or going for two there's a lot of pressure they put on themselves, possibly un, unfound, but there is definitely financial incentive to it. And I think maybe losing one is probably worse. Like I think you lose probably, more than gaining one. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, those numbers come from Dimmy so. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but it, I think that, the yeah, sure, take those numbers with a grain of salt. But also I think that there, there, there definitely is a loss of revenue if you lose a hat mm. because it's loss of reputation as mm. well. And then I guess also... Yeah, look, I, I think that people can put real pressure on themselves. One thing, I think the thing that horrifies me most is when a chef or a restaurateur will say, I've built this restaurant to gain two, three hats. I, I'm, I'm gunning for this. This is the restaurant I'm building off the back of that. And it's like, build it for yourself. Mm. Build what you're making as an authentic part of what you do for a living. Don't do it because you want a hat. That horrifies me. That makes me feel really unwell. Mm. I mean, yeah, there's a, a lot of we're just we're weird creatures, chefs. We, uh, <laughs> we we need we need we need this this reg this you know we need someone to pat us on the back and say we're doing good. And as soon as you yeah. get as soon as you get that, it's like, well, I want I want two pats. But don't you feel I want two goods? Don't you feel great when you've got a full restaurant? And you're making food well, you know is delicious. I think this is this is the evolution that most chefs go to is is and it, and it is a balance. You can you can have ambition, but you can't you you can't win three hats if you're not open. So you've got to kind of balance it out. Um, and you definitely have to cook for yourself. I think like like a lot of young chefs, a lot of young chefs ask me, um, they, they say things like, oh, it must be great when you win your first hat. And you're like, well, like you, 
you sort of you, you, you get an invite and you go and then your name comes up and you're shitting yourself when it's about to come up and it comes up and you get drunk and you go back to work the next day and it's another year like it's not really like you don't it's not like that moment of like it's not like a, an oscar win and like like so it's i think people just have this weird idea of what it is like it's like it's a it's a day in your life when it's like you go out to work the next day and you're back on the pans yeah like it's not quite as significant um, but off the back of that, what would happen if you didn't get that hat? If you lost, oh, hundred percent, yeah. yeah, like that could be. Huge. I mean, and that would be that would be devastating. But once once you set yourself as that goal, if you lose it, that's just telling you you you're you're not as good. Um, so I mean, there's 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 pressure batted from everyone across the board. Mm. And I think it's just it's it's so, it's somewhere more in the middle. Like, it's a great thing to have. And it's great that people do these guides and we have to understand they're not always going to get it right. And there is problems with reviewing and then there's problems with the way chefs um, think about uh, awards and guides. How do, do you think chefs understand everything that we just talked about about how difficult it is on your end? No, because it probably looks like a bullshit plummy job from their yeah, end, right. to be honest. Like, oh, I go and sit in a restaurant, I eat something and I go away and write 130 words about it how hard can that be yeah okay and that's on paper yeah it sure looks pretty easy yeah. but um my poor body sometimes yeah as well. <laughs> um but um it's it's not easy and to be able to do the job at all comes from having x amount of experience under your belt and x meals under your belt and being able to have frames of reference reference to other places that a lot of people might not have mm. It's it's hours tracked a lot of it. Mm. So with the see the, the new guide. Hold on, don't talk about the new one yet. Let's move on to that. Simon, I want to ask about um, how to. I mean, I think that one of the things that like we we both got a background in regional restaurants. Mm. Like I've worked in, um, you know, through publishing, I've worked in Canberra, the Southern Highlands, Illawarra, South Coast. And Simon's been in the Illawarra the whole time. He's been in Wollongong, pretty much, yeah. um, and committed, doing like regional house and things like that. Left, yeah. Left. Yep. Um, from a like, we sort of sit outside, uh, obviously, like the, this metropolitan um, bubble a, a bit. Like we we sort of have our mates in the regions and down the coast and all that sort of thing that we talk to and we're friends with and stuff. And we've, you know, become close with some Sydney chefs through this podcast and and things like that as well. Um, but it can seem as if, uh, you know, like it's not surprising to see the same faces popping up in once, you know, new venues are opened and um, and, and those sorts of things. How, how do you go about you know, keeping a finger on the pulse in far corners of New South Wales or Victoria or anything like that to see what's good. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And a lot of the time we rely on chefs writing into us or or DMing us and saying, hey, I've got a place, here's a menu, here's some pictures of the food, come and check us out. Yeah. And then we... So can, can I ask this question for the benefit of all regional chefs who, yes. who, who, who <laughs> write who to me, to, please? Yeah. How please do they how do they best me. get on your radar? Miffy.rigby at goodfood.com.au. <laughs> just email me, man. Like yeah. that's it. Like it's really that simple. Yeah. Just there's no magic to it. There's no under the table handiwork. It's just email me. Mm. And cool. then we have a really, really, really long spreadsheet. Yeah, and then we we work out through how much space we have in the book, what looks good on paper, and then 
well, you know, we'll review sometimes 700 places to get 300 in the book. Yeah, okay. Like, so we look at a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it's the best stuff that makes it in. How do you allocate the resources to be able to go to some places if they are far flung and potentially not good but you've heard good things and oh, they look good and all those sorts of things it's hard like sometimes i just rely on destiny <laughs> to yeah. just like um to just fling me in the right direction or like very often a review will go like i have a team of about 60 people across new south wales and victoria and i have the wonderful michael harry on the ground in victoria now managing that day-to-day um grind but I have this huge team of people and I'm constantly emailing this huge team saying, where's anyone going? Is anyone going away for the weekend? Are you getting out? If you are, let me know. Have you seen anything? Like, have you tried something along the way? And so people are always feeding in information. Okay. But sometimes, yes, sometimes there'll be places like on the border of New South Wales and Victoria and you're like, Oh, it looks like like a borderline 13, but maybe there's like two cool looking things on the menu. But to send someone out to that restaurant is like a thousand dollar round trip for yeah. lunch or dinner for two and then a night's accommodation and petrol and da 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 da. And, you, and then you're like, I, sometimes you can't find the money to get it done. Yeah. But most of the time we make a very big effort to try as hard as we can. There's like, we'd never not include someone because of the tyranny of distance. Mm. How do you decide on what gets in the paper? Ah, that's not my job, so ha ha ha. Oh, you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> Whose job's that? Uh, that's Arden Burneth's job. She's the editor of Good Food. Oh, okay, right. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, we can save that for another podcast. Yeah. We'll save that for her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I pitch stories. I, I, I am actually very lucky and quite spoiled in that I can pretty much write whatever I want. So when I come with an, up with an idea, I talk to Arden and she says, obviously, that's great. And then we run with it. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> but yeah, it's really like, honestly, um, pitching, yeah. pitching, pitching, pitching. So with, with that, we, we do have good control. How, how do you balance between, obviously, there are certain chefs who are going to get more more views, more clicks when it comes yeah. to the internet. Um, there's better names. How do you balance that with discovering new talent? keeping the readers satisfied, satisfied with the, the names and the faces you want to see, yep. with finding new restaurants. How, how, do, you, how do you go about um, really, sort of balancing that? In terms of like my feature writing? Um, yeah, well, even feature writing, even restaurants yep. um, across um, the board. Sometimes it's like an 80-20 rule. So you're like, okay, well, your 80% is like your bulk celebrity, like who, like who in this story will, will actually sell the story, but then... Like I, I, I tend to really like to be able to find new voices myself. It keeps it interesting for me. And, you know, chefs get bored with talking to me a lot of the time too. So I'm like, I've got to like space myself out. <laughs> I think out there's so a, lot of, a lot of chefs out there would um, be lucky to have the privilege of getting bored of talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> but like honestly, again, like I mean, I'm always looking for stories. So if there are chefs out there who have a cool story that they want to tell – Email me. Cool. It's really like there's, again, no dark art to to get getting coverage. You just need to have a great story that's worthy of telling or if you've got an amazing dish or there is an ingredient you're growing that no one else is or you're doing something representational of something that no one else is doing. We want to hear about it. We want to tell those stories all the time. Mm. 
hungry beast. Does he get frustrating continuously saying just email me? And yes, then going and then like, no one ever I does. Fucking heard anything? <laughs> yeah, people, and it's the same with young writers too. Like a lot of the time, people get really wooty with me because they don't get pitched or they don't get contacted, and I'm like, take like I remember being in my early twenties and I was emailing constantly and calling constantly and hustling. And I just wonder if people don't hustle as hard anymore because they just expect things to come to them. I don't know. I think one of the things might be that, um, you know, everyone who's in food media has some kind of a social media profile where they can tell their story. Yeah. And they sort of might think, and, you know, they might have a few of the right people following them. So they kind of are under this assumption, well, X, Y, and Z follows me. They know what I'm doing. They'll come to me if, if, they, if they think I'm worthy of, you know, contributing to that publication or, or whatever. But I think that, yeah, it's worth sort of driving home that point that you've got to hustle so hard. You really do. Yeah. And we want to he- the other thing is we want to hear from you. Yeah. It's not an imposition for us to read an email from a great young writer or great young chef who has a story to tell. We want to hear those voices. Yeah. And we can't always because it is a fairly large machine at the old Sydney Morning Herald is we can't always be sitting there scouring the internet looking for new people. Mm. Like We've got to work really quickly here. Yeah. So if people can occasionally come to us, it does make life easier. Do you, do you think that there's a misconception out there that like good food is like a entity of and for the people that isn't bound by, you know, the fact that it's a part of nine and this <laughs> institute, you know, it's like good food should be doing the right thing by every chef and every writer and everyone. It's like you're not a philanthropic organisation. I think, I think chefs forget it's a business for one and, <laughs> and businesses have to make money. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, chefs, that just don't, it doesn't even come in their head. Even yeah. though they're running a business that needs to make money. Yeah, it's definitely true. Like there is, there's often this misconception that they're either been hard done by because for some bizarre reason they've got it into their head that it's personal. I'm like, I don't care. Like you're either good or you're not good or you're doing something that is wonderful or you're not and that's really it. There's Mm. no personal anything ever. No one has time to have a vendetta against anyone Mm. ever. Yeah, (laughs) totally. No time, no resources. You'd have to be pretty well resources to resource to have vendettas. That's all I have to say. Yeah, there's no there's no boards here with like darts in of chess faces. Darts can confirm. Um, There might be a back room for that. Little like red spots around the state, like no go zones, and (laughs) it's just everything's on fire. (laughs) Yeah, 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 but there is there is some funny. I think sometimes some funny misconceptions about how we run the business. It's very. Very independent and really stringent. Mm. Like mm. it's all process driven. A lot of it. Mm. The, the Victoria Coffee one a couple of years ago was was well, quite that was funny. A funny one because all Victoria does is very kindly give us money yeah. so we can publish a restaurant guide. Mm. But well, no say in anything we do. We just dropped them as our coffee supplier as well. Oh and, no! And, and still retain. You, the you, hat. You, won't, you won't get a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were like, well, like rice on board. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> So that yeah, so that was that was an interesting one of, like, and like if you were gonna, that'd be the worst way to go about it. If like if you're really gonna be like underhanded, we'd let the coffee company decide. I know. Because then it'd be and easy, also if you're gonna fix. run a smear campaign, do your research, surely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it's time to move on to today's issue of good food and yes. uh, the changes in the guide. So, I mean, maybe a good way to start is like. 
instead of just launching straight into what's different, mm. tell us a bit about like, because you've had some time now, like we, we haven't had a guide for a year. So like we've had some time now to, you've had time and your team has had time to assess what, you know, what the landscape looks like now, but also perhaps what, you know, the shortcomings of previous editions were, where you were falling short and things like that. Like what are the, some of the things that you over the last, you know, however long it's been, sort of identified and, and thought these are sort of things that we need to start addressing in this in this next, you know, iteration of the guide? Well, it was kind of interesting. I suppose a lot of it came from, I mean, working at home for a year and just watching people struggle and but watching people struggle and then come up with really interesting ways to 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 make something new and all i kept thinking was we have an opportunity here to tell new stories and we were maybe like a quarter of the way through the process of the good food guide last year when coronavirus hit and we lost about $60,000 in expenses just with restaurants we'd already been to and reviews that had already been filed and nothing could be used. And so we did this, I don't know if you guys caught, we did a little like 100 good things and we did Mm. one in Victoria and one in New South Wales. And it was this, that was the beginning of the idea where it's like, let's try and highlight as much across our states as we can just things that are awesome things that people are doing that are brilliant and then i kept thinking this is more inclusive these are more the stories that i really like to read and every single one of these tiny little listings could be a cover story in itself and then it made me think like there was a point when the good food guide was a little bit more local where the stories could be a little bit more juicy and a little less kind of national focused and elite and then I just kept thinking elitism is exactly the wrong place to be and where we need to be is diverse we need to be inclusive I mean this was also a year when Black Lives Matter really came to the fore which was obviously always there but it you know people were just getting angrier and angrier which is great but it means that we need to be able to keep up Mm. and it's hard with something like the Good Food Guide because it is this legacy thing. Mm. And how do you change people's perception of a product that's been sitting on shelves for 40 years? You can't just do it all at once. So I'd say we're probably, we're going to get like 70% of the way to where I'd like us to be with this guide. Mm-hmm. Um, but the general, I guess my general gut feeling was we need to, include more be more representational of neighborhoods because that's the thing with coronavirus like people were just not leaving their states or like let alone like their homes actually but like people were just eating in neighborhoods and everywhere i would go and and i'd I'd walk around i would see neighborhood restaurants just absolutely packed and i thought that's it that's where it is people just want a connection with community and they want something that's more I guess they just want to be more in touch with what's actually happening in their own cities. And I mean, that's coming a lot from the way that I feel. Um, And so some of it's by gut. I don't know if it's right, but it feels right. Mm. Um, So basically what I'm telling you is I just vibed it and I hope it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It was a vibe. (laughs) It was a vibe, guys. It's just the vibe of the Um, thing. With that that in mind, with 
Because neighborhood restaurants, they've never fitted into the, the hat no. model. No. For and when obviously you have a, a you know a scoring guide and they don't fit into that. How much of a problem do you think it is that they, they haven't or they don't? Like, is, is it just, well, this is our scoring and we'll stick with it. We'll try and get them in, in somewhere else. Or does the scoring need so some tweaking? Well, we've tweaked the scoring for this reason. So a lot, a lot of the reason a lot of those places hadn't come in earlier is because they just absolutely didn't fit within the parameters of what a good food guide review should be. And a lot of that was because of how much weight was put on design and service and wine lists and all these things that maybe for lots and lots of really great restaurants that are out there aren't quite so important. But deliciousness is obviously the most important thing. Friendliness, feeling good when you go somewhere is so incredibly important. Um, A restaurant that's like fit for purpose. So is it is it doing the best version of itself that it can do? That's what we're kind of looking at now. So everything is the best of the best, but it's the best of the best within its little sphere. Mm. Rather than trying to apply this one catch-all sort of list of criteria, which means that it was excluding like a lot of cool places. Mm. I'm hoping, hoping this works. Mm. It's, a, it's something that I imagine there, there was... Um, Talking about in that category and a restaurant in that category, that was something you guys sort of did before. I'm assuming most guys do that. Where if you're a pub, you're not really competing against the the, the fine dining. You're competing mm. against the other pubs. You're gonna be the the best pub food. Yeah. To be a hat, rather you're not kind of comparing them side by side. And I guess what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of it is in your category. So if if your food is modern Australian, you are up against a lot more restaurants, yeah. and you have to be in the top one you percent know, of those restaurants to be in that hat. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused with comparing being like, well, that's got a hat. Why don't I have a hat? And it's like, you're a fine dining <laughs> restaurant and that, that's a cool pub doing like just banging bar food. And you, and you can't compare these things. I think that the, like there are some things that can't be compared. Um, obviously, it's very hard to get them into one scoring criteria. Um, so what, what do you think you will be, like, like how will the scoring function to maybe include that little Italian joint or that little... Ethiopian joint on mm. the corner. Like, will, will would a restaurant like that be able to get a hat? Is that in the? I mean, it's possible. It would have to be. So, our hats still are. I mean, it's, you know, I think this was a really big struggle for us. And I'm just gonna like weirdly babble for a second. Go for it. I'm just to, like get my head this around whole this. Whole podcast one. could be called weirdly babbling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, we battled with that a lot. Like, if you're a tiny Cambodian diner in a a suburb of far western Sydney, can you get a hat? Sure. If you are doing the right <laughs> stuff. I mean like if you if you if you you kind of fulfill all those things it takes to get a hat, there's no reason why you can't. Mm. And I think that you've changed the criteria of what getting a hat is that potentially makes them more accessible to those types of places and li- like that elitism is a little bit sort of like, the volumes turned down I mean, a little bit on that i went i went for dinner the night at um Chalcachina in wollongong oh yeah which i've heard great things about from like people who go to have multiple had restaurants all the time to other people and went there for dinner mainly because it's byo <laughs> it was just really really fucking good and had where like is this, it i don't even know if like, i know this uh place. crown bottom of crown sea like opposite night parrot on the other side uh, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. i know the one building, i haven't been there like yeah, yeah, yeah. minimal decor Tables have got 
you know, like plastic the things red on. And, the red and white. But I just had like the best rabbit gnocchi. Oh. And like, yeah, and I was like, that's gun. Like the rabbit was cooked perfectly, great gnocchi. And I was like, and it was in a massive big bowl. And I was like, well, if they just picked this rabbit a bit different and like put a little and, and stacked it in there and a different plate, like that's, that's a hatted dish. Yeah. There. But to your point, sometimes it just takes the yeah. right amount of tweaking to get it but from, how, how, say, mu- how much is, is that for the, like, because like, do, how much does that matter, really? Like, are we putting... I think the amount of care matters. I think the amount of care really matters mm. when it comes to getting a hat. Mm. It's that next level of finesse. Mm. Across all facets, right, rather than I just so. what's on the plate. Yes, and it's that's probably the largest sort of divider for mm. for people that award hats to, to restaurants is like, what is that level of care? What is that level of finesse? What is that extra gut feeling you get when you walk into a place and you know? Mm. And that's and that's kind of, I guess, what we're looking for. Mm. I think, yeah, I think care might be the one, one yeah. way to quantify I think so. these things. Well, I, I was asked, like, it, like, is that important? Like, do I need my gnocchi stacked up in a little little bit in the middle and, and like, you know, and garnish it better? Like, how much do I need that? But that like, tra- translates across service, across design across atmosphere across yeah. all those sorts of things which all contribute to the quality exactly. of an experience do they care that you're in their restaurant as mm. a regular diner mm. do do they put so much care into their food that they're picking that rabbit differently to make a more delicious ragu do they care enough to make the seats comfortable do they care to get the lighting just right so everything feels good like that's that that's care is pretty much yeah, number one word when it comes to getting a hat. Mm. Do was there any talk of like making some other out of three system for a second tier for 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 the neighbourhood? We sort tried of to think about like it that way. Stars or I don't know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> not hats, we, we thought we thought aprons. about all sorts of different like mechanisms, but at the end of the day, and maybe that's stuff that could be done going forward but this year it's like this is already a pretty large change yeah like what what is going to be really easy to for our regular readers who have read this book for 30 or 40 years how are they going to understand this Mm. um adding in a lot of extra stuff already and then making sure the hat system still clear and works for both the hospitality industry and then also for diners is really important. And then, you know, going forward, that's stuff we can build on for sure. I just Mm. need to find a way that doesn't detract from this already working thing. Mm. Do you sort of just change the subject a little bit, but um, we're talking about how, you know, the changes with COVID and neighbourhood restaurants and how the guides adapted um, go back to the regions uh, since since COVID, the regions have boomed, and you know Justin Hems has bought up you know places in Byron and in uh, down on the south coast, and there's great restaurants like Bangalore, and <laughs> there's uh, you know yes. there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of stuff happening on the. Uh, uh, in the regions, and and we're seeing like a demographic shift. We're seeing younger people moving to the regions, and and those sorts of things as well, with the ability to work remotely. All those sorts of things. Have you adapted this guide at all to to take that into account, or do you see that something um, that you'll possibly need to be doing in the future? We're certainly putting a lot more into the regions for sure, um, and also with the regular paper, we're we're like covering the regions more with our back page travel story. So that's now that we can, now that we know that it's it's okay to start 
pushing people out again. We're definitely doing that. And it is, it's, it's a huge thing. And I think road tripping as a genre, like I'm not sure how much people are flying from place to place unless they're super loaded. Mm. But I think that people are driving around a lot. And when they can drive and stop and drive and stop, and see a lot more stuff. I feel like there are cool stories there. Maybe you should change the rating to like worth a detour or something like oh, that. And then I maybe um, little, worth like a special uh, trip or yeah. something like that. And yeah. sell a good food guide tires. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why not? Do we need like a good food guide um, man? Is this like a giant yeah, yeah. hat? <laughs> 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 the Bridgestone. Let's bring it back. Good food guide. Um, yep. well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's going to be an interesting... Uh, of way of, of that well, that's kind of how first food guides came out was people like driving around and, and where do you go where do you go for a good for a good dinner yeah and it's it's happening again i it's think people are just like so plugged into what's happening outside of the city and they're so desperate to go anywhere it's funny it's it's like i think that i mean i i was involved in the south coast cookbook the first one in 2008 right back then everyone was saying the food scene on the South Coast is just going crazy right now. Everyone's – and then like, you know, whatever, like the Southern Highlands cookbook was 2016. The Southern Highlands is just – the food scene is just going bonkers right now and it's all on the up and everything. And I just feel like there's been this constant refrain about it. the like certain little regions always improving. And I don't know if that has actually been the case for the last amount of time because – I think we see closures and openings just as much as we have over mm. the years and you same, same to the same proportion almost as you see them in the cities. But now I think it might be the time where it's actually changing. <laughs> like I would have to say that I reckon like I'm seeing better service in the regions than I'm seeing really? in quite a lot of the city restaurants. Wow, and big. I would say that that's not something that I could have boasted before. No, yeah, right. That's, that's interesting. Do you think that's the, the the cities have got worse or the regions got better? I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm I mean, happy about it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I wonder if it is Some, a lot of people not being able to different. afford to live in Sydney, yeah, or, um, or Melbourne, and they're just moving out. Mm. I mean, realistically, regional parts of Australia were never going to truly boom until people started showing up there and spending their money. Mm. That, that's literally the difference. And I imagine with the sort of renewed focus on regional has come down to a lot of more people are going there so more people want to hear about it so as much as it's it's great it is a monetary decision um which you know business has to make Mm. and a lifestyle decision for a lot of people and all those sorts of things but yeah a huge shift to the regions Mm. i wonder wonder about the the it's funny actually because um my my parents are in the blue mountains and dad makes a lot of comments about people having done the big blue mountains move and are now like horribly regretting it oh really yeah. <laughs> i wonder if that yeah i've been thinking about that too because i'm like I, I spend a lot of time living on the south coast and know what it's like to live down there when it's quiet mm. like i i've done four winters you know south of batemans bay and it's pretty quiet like it's like if you're if you're used to living in newtown and going to your favorite wine bar every thursday night for a drink and, a, and an anchovy toast then uh <laughs> then <laughs> you're not you make your find, wine bar at home you're not finding much of that in tarthra i tell you yeah. <laughs> but i mean that, that's what that's what drives um you know places getting better is people and that's, that's unfortunately been what like we, we we said about Wollongong for about eight years of like, oh, once all those Sydney folk come down, finally will we... Uh, and Wollongong it, it, it still. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. Long, they, they'll finally appreciate our food. Um, and it, but it does take people to come down who are willing to spend more money and, and want to you know, 
let's maybe not say higher quality with the all the changes we're talking about, but a different style of restaurant. And it takes that's happened. So, you know, if you if you if you're down there, <laughs> banging on everyone's door for some for some uh, anchovies on toast, it will come <laughs> eventually. Like so someone will open a restaurant that does it if there's enough enough it need for nice it. It would be nice to see, like I think, in the, and I guess like Byron is an example where I wouldn't even mm. consider that a region now, it's just a no. suburb of Sydney. Yeah, but like. <laughs> That's an example where lots and lots of little things opened and then the larger players started dropping in. Yeah. And you wonder, like, is that is there going to be a point where, let's just use New South Wales because this is where we are, I mean, is there going to be a point where every area becomes that? Yeah. Or, or can places maintain a sense of themselves without the risk of that happening? And is that a good thing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question going forward. Yeah. Um, mm. And I mean, and, and you know, are, are these places gonna gonna last there? Are they gonna stay? Are they just there for the boom? Um, are they gonna go set up? That's sticks? the question. It's a bit of that gold mining thing, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it really like is. That. It's like a gold rush. Well, the, yeah. the thing, like, I mean, twenty twenty on the south coast, and I keep using the south coast as an example because that's where I know. Mm. But twenty twenty on the south coast essentially didn't have a high season or a low season. It was had a low season. Well, sorry, it the had whole, a low season through whole, COVID the whole year. Let's talk. Uh, what I mean is, winter wasn't a low season. We don't count for a coronavirus as a season, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like remember that bad season in twenty. Because um, what yes. you know, what these yeah. places have always suffered is is having such peaks and troughs yeah. in their ability to trade. Now is that. Now they've got an ability to constantly trade throughout the year. You're still flat out in May and booked out through June or whatever it might See, be. See, that's enormous. Mm-hmm. To be booked out in June. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's and it. We keep talking about how you know next week's when it drops off, next month's when it drops off, that and it just keeps kind of coming back. Like we'll you know look a couple of weeks down the road, we got twenty booked on a Monday, and then you get to there and you're doing fifty. Yeah, um, and it's just insane. Like, but do you I've, reckon I've it's going to go back to? Do you reckon it's going to go back to once international travels opened up, once everyone that's moved away that regretted it has moved back to Sydney? Or <laughs> well, it might I want to know this. I want to know how. Okay, I can't ask you how much money people are spending, but I feel like there are just even like there are restaurateurs in Sydney that are saying that people have never spent so much money as they're spending at the moment. Well. It is like crazy like roaring 20s like like spending like their lives depend on it because international borders are closed mm. um what happens do you think say, it's because international borders are closed um because what because so people where, aren't spending their money on travel money coming from though like why That's do a good they question. suddenly have it i, think I don't the, have any more i've got the same amount as i've always had yeah I think it's okay, the same thing. You There's a look, lot of caviar being well, licked off during hands. the There's global a huge financial of crisis. Everyone's eating caviar like it's going out well, of style. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. That, that's always it's like we're in a recession. It's more so caviar, odd. Please. It is. It is the weirdest the, time for caviar to become the biggest Instagram <laughs> yeah. food trend, right? Why? The like, caviar <laughs> PR guys must be like, "Oh, this is not good. This is not." Oh wait, oh wait, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. People definitely spending um, when we we opened Night Parrot. We were just shocked about like the bottles we would sell, but a similar thing happened in when I was in the UK during the global financial crisis. Obviously, every hospitality venue was shitting it. Like we were like, "Oh my god, is this going to be the end? What's going to happen?" And we just sort of noticed that people weren't going on holidays, so there was that bit of money. They probably weren't buying that that more expensive car or that next car. They or were, a house, they were, maybe. They, yeah, mm. they weren't doing these kind of flashy things. All these things that that where you know there's a there's a value transaction. You buy a house, like, oh my house price can go down, um, but they still wanted to like have a good time. So they still went out for dinner, and I sort of 
at the start of the pandemic, that was kind of my little bit of, of hope down the line is I'd kind of experienced that before and people still had dinner. Like people still want to eat. Mm. And I think and in, in Australia, we weren't particularly worried with the bar because we're like, Australians will drink. Mm. They, they, yeah, they will drink. And so like that wasn't really much of a worry. So mm. I think possibly a bit of that is less... Less those big purchases, but you can if you if you haven't been hit you know hard by it and you're still employed, you can still afford that dinner, and you can probably go. Well, I was cooped up for a bit. No, I guess it's a combination of all these things, right? Yeah. That we're talking about because there was obviously there's like a you know four six month lag there where no one got to go out and have a nice dinner. Like no one went out and spent good money on a meal when they normally mm. would do it once a month or whatever I it might be. I money just not going for a beer after work every other night. Yeah, exactly. I didn't every save night. any money and I'm just... Really? <laughs> what were you doing? I don't know. She's <laughs> <laughs> like locked in my bedroom somehow still. Oh, yeah. still, <laughs> still. Buying a lot of like athleisure wear. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a good investment. Somewhere. It's a good I mean, investment. Yeah, I was just sat home depressed. So you can't really spend much money when you're depressed. It's just chilling. Just I, chilling. I, I I managed to get away with not spending too much money. I was just fished down the, the coast. Time, yeah, I was just fishing and free food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, not bad. Bait went up though. The price of bait went oh, up. Oh, so. bloody hell. Look See, out. this is the thing though. I really wonder if is this going to be one of those situations where the bottom's just going to drop out and you've yeah. got like abandoned villages everywhere. That's that's another question. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's that, a that, valid question. That is the worry um i think are, that'd be the um, are people overcapitalizing i guess that's the question yeah mm, it's is the government overcapitalizing like people who are in regions we, we're just enjoying it right mm. now but to see these bigger groups maryvale and icebergs you're putting it away or like not you but like the yeah the kind of the universal you is it a matter of, of restaurants like just going okay well now we can open a second venue or do this other stuff or are people just being a bit more modest and looking at what it's going to look like in, say, 2023. Yeah, I think obviously some people have jumped in and some big people have jumped in, whether it's, you know, they can afford to potentially fail or they can afford to do something for you. If I was looking to open another business now, then I would be extremely cautious with what, where, mm. when. Like, I would not I would not feel comfortable, unless it was something that was possibly timeless, um, whatever that means. Like, it would, it would be, I think it'd be tough. Like if you're opening a pub, you probably get you're probably fine. Yeah, pub with good food will always do well. Which which but that suggests that you've got the kind of money that you could just open. Yeah, a pub. Well, like yes. that's such an expensive thing to do. Yeah, I don't know. I guess like I just wonder. Um, I don't see the regions being a trend. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I do wonder about people overcapitalizing on a time when people can't go anywhere and they're highly yeah. invested in their own country yeah i think when when international travel opens that will be we'll see what happens then yeah it'll be a huge test won't it yeah like i don't know i don't do you feel like you're just you know gagging to go overseas like i don't i don't i I mean i'd I'd love to go overseas but i'm not like i'm not like got the itchiest feet in the world where i'm like I need to get overseas. I've been deprived of that, like for, no, for this like, long. No, like first world problem. Exactly, to feel and it's also like of not going on an overseas yeah. trip. But it's also like I think that people, I don't know, it's so hard. People are discovering well, the beauty been, of the been regions and territory yet. Like I've been well, on exactly. Australia. Well, I, I like, was like, I'm really desperate to go and do a full like car trip once I can drive <laughs> like, across the country. I would love to go and, mm. and properly see the top end. I've only been to Darwin. I'd yeah. like to see, I'd just like to see more of my own country, I think. Mm. 
I mean, yeah. that, that's the hope is that that yearning sticks. Yeah. That people go, oh, Australia's actually pretty good. Like, it's it's, big, New it's, Zealand it's time. bigger than Europe. Mm. So, like, why do I need to go travel around Europe and I probably haven't seen all of Australia? So, I guess you, you, you hope that sticks. And also, like, that feeling now of having not travelled on a plane for such a long time, I keep thinking about, like, I guess I keep thinking about the air miles and I think about the petrol and I start thinking mm. about all of... Like the like the heavy the heavy load that's putting on nature, mm. I suppose as well. And it's been kind of nice to not be just like getting on cheap flights all the time and being a disgusting carbon pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um. I mean, I think that's bring it back to to the guide. That's where it can probably be influential in highlighting. Australia as a whole more mm. and hopefully negating some of that um, urge for some people to travel. Mm. Um, I'm going to change the subject back to the guide completely because there's one thing that I wanted to ask that I forgot to. Um, so we're back to Victoria and New South oh, Wales yes. now after mm. a national guide. Yeah, we are. So and tell I mean, us about the national guide first and yes. the challenges of that and the and then the move back. So I always felt like I think I brought in the national guide my second year Third year, third year, third year. I God knows. I don't remember how long I've been here anymore. I'm stuck to the walls. But like, the, I think my third guide that I made while working here, I turned into a national guide specifically because I just kept seeing all of these restaurants around Australia we weren't writing about that were hat worthy and amazing and 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 didn't really have a voice anywhere else. Um, and and that was really starting to get good traction until coronavirus and then as we were trying to think of what we wanted to do to bring the guide back this time around I mean would it be a magazine did we want to try and push it as a digital product and it's like actually bringing back the safety and comfort of a book was quite important and then it was like the national thing was just impossible this year because like the borders just keep opening and closing and there didn't seem to be a realistic way of doing that and so yeah, this year we're doing New South Wales and Victoria. I don't know going forward what we'll do. I, I, it would be interesting to see how upset people get about not having a national guide. What do you guys think? I've got a question. Does, does the resource distribution of nine have anything to do with the geography of the guide? No. No, okay. No, it was right. entirely my decision and yeah. the decision of like the good food team. Yeah. Yeah. I think the national... It's almost like I'm not even sure how much I realized that like South Australia like didn't have like hats and stuff like when I was just like just working in Wollongong slaving away <laughs> like this never really occurred to me it was just like I assumed like everyone had their own thing and then to be like oh so like no how are we comparing this country um, so I think like just the, the com- being able to compare and be able to go and these guys have a hat and compare you know South Australia what's the feedback like from people in the other states. In term, well, like like the people when you went national or yes. or, or now well, when, we went, when we went national, Victorians hated it. <laughs> Why? Because they don't <laughs> like reading about anything that isn't in Victoria. <laughs> they get really upset. Uh, and in fact, I had writers, I had people writing into me from Victoria, and several. It wasn't like one or two who told me that they ripped out the entire guts of the book and kept Victoria. You're <laughs> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like Come at on least Victoria, on the, right. wrote on the front yeah <laughs> like probably at least five or six people wrote in and like not many people really take the time to email anymore yeah. <laughs> and they wrote 
wrote in to tell so, me so how... more people who did it but didn't email? Is that what you're saying? I'm basically <laughs> saying that there's like at least three years of the Good Food Guide where it's just people walking around with a torn up yeah, book. you can find the Victoria. It's such copies, a funny so. difference in mentality between Victoria and yeah. New South Wales. Like I feel like I'm going to completely generalise, but I feel like people in Sydney are like, Sydney's cool. Melbourne's awesome, but people in Melbourne are like, Melbourne's awesome, Sydney's shit. Yeah, pretty much. It's this real fixation that I don't, I don't understand. I think that like you, it's, it's this emotional tie to your state that I don't think New mm. South Walesians have. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like it was a practical decision for us to make it in New South Wales and Victorian books. Um whether we go national again, I have no idea. It's just really going to depend on how upset people are about not having it and what our feedback is from our readers. Mm. I guess the, you know, talking about neighbourhood places, talking about diversity, talking about a range of voices and stories and all those sorts of things would sort of favour a, a, a national publication because, I mean, imagine... I mean, Imagine the untold told stories out there. I feel like that would you be know. a digital yeah, proposition. Like yeah. in a book, it's basically – it's so hard. Like I will say in favour of having the state-based guides this year, we have been able to get more diverse restaurants in and, and more voices um, and I think we'll get better stories out of it on the other side of the book being launched. Um, in terms of just like more diverse stories, not better stories, because stories are always wonderful. But um, the, I think in terms of a national product, I would love to do that in a digital format because you could just then like your, your the world is your, well Australia's your oyster. Like you just keep, you could just keep highlighting constantly, and you wouldn't be stymied by only having. You know, two hundred and fifty-seven pages. Is that someone? You, is that stories. something you're sort of moving on? Yeah, we yeah. will be with time again. Like it's a big company, slow moving, um, but we're hoping to have a better digital product by next year. Yeah, okay. Which means that we can start to create a way better, better good food guide digital product, yeah, which cool. you would actually be able to use on a daily basis rather than once a year. Yeah, that's mm. cool. Yeah. Um, Listen up, uh, you know, Darwin-based food writers and, you know, yeah. wherever, Alice Springs, Please. journos. Call <laughs> email, me. Yeah, mm. <laughs> email Don't me. Don't call me. <laughs> email me. <laughs> I'll screen your call if you call me. <laughs> yeah, text great. Text yeah, that, that, that's really interesting and I, you know um, – God, it's, it's it just must have been such a bloody challenge, really. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's such a constant ebb and flow of restaurants that Good Food Guys always been a, a snapshot of, you know, possibly just that day because a restaurant could close the next day. Pretty much, it's like buying a computer. You yeah. know, as soon as you've bought it, it's out of date. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a tough one. It's like yeah. quicksand books too. I mean, I very much enjoyed the National Awards night. That was always cool. Everyone enjoyed were, that were, night yeah. immensely, yeah. <laughs> except full, me. Full of great people. <laughs> I find it kind of like horribly um, stressful. For me, I guess it's like every night for a chef, it's like just the horror <laughs> of seeing your room fill up with people who might hate you at the people end of it. Judging your product. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, the, the rush at the end to get a, get a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Miffy, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Is there any oh. other, I don't know, insider info that, that, that you want to make people aware of? About the guide, well, anything else in general? I can spruik a little bit. So yeah, spruik some stuff. Yeah, spruik some stuff. So the guide is going to be out uh, mid-November. Uh, 
Victoria and New South Wales separate guys. Buy both. It'll be fun. Um, <laughs> we will have little state-based roundups at the end of each book. It's just not going to be uh, like as hatted and and vaunted, I guess, as it has been in years gone by, which I am quite sad about, but we will find a way going forward to do that as well. Okay, cool. That's exciting. Anything yeah. else? Simon, you got anything else? No, I think we covered quite a lot. That's heaps. Mm. Cool. Thanks, Miffy. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. It's great. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or the food fight podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.